0: On Canonical, we deal with subject matters that may not be suitable for some audiences. On this episode, we discuss abortion, rape, crimes against children, murder, false imprisonment, and execution. Listener discretion is advised. Everyone thought Timothy Evans had killed his wife and child. At the time, only Timothy and his downstairs neighbour John knew the truth. Evans hadn't killed Beryl and their daughter. John had. But the man who was hanged for their murder wouldn't be their killer. This is Canonical. execution haunts history, not because of the crime he was convicted for, but rather the unnerving fact that he did not commit the crime. He had even revealed who had really done it during his trial. Despite his pleas that he was innocent, he was convicted and hanged. It wasn't until three years later that it was discovered that the real killer, John Christie, hadn't only killed Evans' wife Beryl and their daughter Geraldine, he had killed six other people and was Notting Hill's very own serial killer. Before we talk about John Christie, we need to backtrack a little and talk about Timothy Evans's past, and everything that led him to being charged with his wife and daughter's murders. Timothy Evans had grown up with a myriad of health issues that led to him being absent from school a lot during his childhood. Because of this, he was never able to read or write properly. He moved to London in 1939 to live with his mother and stepfather after working at the Merthyr Coal Mines. While in London, he became a kind of chameleon, telling elaborate stories, switching between his native Welsh accent and a London one. Some believe that he did this as a way to fit in with those around him. He met Beryl Beryl Thorley in 1946, and just a year later, the two were married. Soon after they were married, they learned they were expecting a child and moved to 10 Rillington Place, in the then seedy, seedy area of Notting Hill. There, they met their new neighbours, Ethel and John Christie. Timothy and Beryl had a turbulent relationship. Timothy had a drinking problem, and the birth of their daughter Geraldine had put more pressure on their already unstable relationship. So, in 1949, when they found out that Beryl was pregnant again, she decided to get an abortion, despite the practice being illegal at the time. It was only a few weeks later that he told police that his wife had died. He was questioned, and his story changed several times. Initially, he confessed to uh, that he had given his wife a concoction that would terminate her pregnancy, but it accidentally caused, caused her death, so he had disposed of her body under a nearby drain. Upon searching the area, police were uh, unable to find any sign pointing to Beryl's remains, so they went back to Timothy, who had changed his story. This time, he told them that their neighbour John had offered to perform the abortion, but when T- Timothy had come home from work, John had told him that Beryl had not survived the procedure and died. Timothy said that Christie had told him to leave London, that he would dispose of Beryl's remains and make arrangements for someone to look after Geraldine. Timothy said that he went to Wales to stay with relatives, but on his return, Christie refused to let him see his daughter. This second confession prompted the police to take a look at the Rillington Place property. During the search, they found the bodies of both Beryl and Geraldine Evans wrapped in a tablecloth in the wash house behind 10 Rillington Place. During the investigation into their deaths, it was determined that they had both been strangled. Timothy reportedly didn't know about his daughter's death until he was told by police. he had apparently been under the assumption that she was with Christie, who was unle- unwilling to let him see her. He made another contradictory statement to police, allegedly even replying, yes, yes, when he was asked if he was responsible for their murders. Timothy Evans was charged for the murders of his wife and child, and went to trial in 1950. By this time, he had recanted his confessions and pleaded innocent, claiming that Christie was the real killer. Christie, who was a key witness for the prosecution, denied the claims. It took the three days for the jury to find Timothy Evans guilty, and despite a failed appeal in February of 1950, he was hanged at the Pentonville prison on March 9th. For John Christie, he had seemingly got away with murder. At least he had until three years later, when his supposed luck ran out. In 1953, John Christie moved out of Rillington Place. After he left, the landlord let another tenant use his kitchen. It was then that a horrific discovery took place. There were three bodies hidden in the kitchen. Police were called, and during their examination of the property, they found three more bodies, this time under the floorboard of his apartment. If we rewind to August 1943, we meet Christie's first victim, Ruth F- First. She was 21 and an Austrian munitions worker who supplemented her income by engaging in sex work. Christie claimed that he had met her while she had been at a snack bar in Ladbroke Grove looking for clients. According to statements that Christie made, he invited her to his home on August 24th and impulsively strangled her on his bed. Her body was initially hidden beneath the floorboards of his living room, but he buried it in the back garden the next evening. Christie met his next victim on the 7th of October the following year. Muriel Amelia Eady had bronchitis, and Christie had told her that he had something that could cure it. She went to his flat to get this mixture, and while there, Christie murdered her. Christie had told Muriel that she had needed to inhale the mixture from the jar with the tube that was inserted into the top. When her back was turned, Christie inserted a second tube into the jar, connecting the other end to the gas tap. Muriel inhaled, this time drawing in domestic gas, which in the 1940s was coal coal gas. With a carbon monoxide content of 15%. She was soon unconscious, at which at which point she was raped and strangled by Christie. He buried her alongside Ruth. The next murders were two we've already heard about: Beryl and Geraldine Evans. We know that Thomas Evans was convicted of these murders and had already been executed by the time Christie's next victim was murdered. On the morning of December 14th, 1952, Ethel Christie was strangled in bed. Christie invented several stories to explain his wife's absence to avoid further inquiries being made. He replied to letters from her family, explaining that because she had rheumatism, she was unable to write herself. To a neighbour, he revealed she was visiting her relatives in Sheffield. To another, she said he had gone. She had gone to Birmingham. During this time, he was also he also resigned from his job and remained unemployed. In order in order to support himself, he sold his wife's wedding ring, her watch, and their furniture, only keeping cutlery, two chairs, and his kitchen table as well as a mattress for himself. Between the months of January and March 1953, Christie murdered three more women, Kathleen Maloney, Rita Nelson, and Hectorina McLennan. Kathleen was a sex worker from the Ladbroke Grove area. Rita was from Belfast, but was in the area visiting her sister. She was six months pregnant when she died. Hectorina was living in London with her boyfriend Alex Baker. All three met Christy on several occasions. He had even let Hectorina and Alex stay in his home while they looked for accommodation. Once Christie managed to meet Hector Reiner alone, convincing her to come back to his flat where he murdered her. For all three women, he mo- used a modified version of the way he'd killed Muriel. He used rubber tube connected to the gas pipe in the kitchen, seated his victim in the room, and released the bulldog clip he used to keep the tube clob- closed. It was pointed out that using this method, Christie himself wouldn't have been affected by the gas, meaning his explanation was, a hu- was not 100% accurate. It was nonetheless confirmed that all three had been exposed to carbon monoxide before being strangled. As with Muriel, all three were raped when they were unconscious and dying. When this fact was revealed to the public, Christie was quickly considered to be a necrophile. However, some have cautioned against describing him as such, as he did not exclusively engage with them after their deaths. He wrapped all three victims in blankets, stowing their bodies in the small recess in his kitchen, the place they would eventually be found. This brings us to March 24th. The tenant from the top floor flat, Beresford Brown, had found the recess in the kitchen after he'd tried to hang brackets on the wall. Christie disguised the fact that he'd hidden bodies in the recess by hanging wallpaper over the entrance. Beresford held back the wallpaper to find the bodies, and after getting confirmation that what he was seeing was real, he phoned the police and the search for Christie began. Christie, meanwhile, had been staying at the King's Cross Roten House, since March 20th, leaving after the news of this discovery had come to light. He wandered around London, sleeping rough, until the morning of March 31st, when he was arrested near Putney Bridge. After his arrest, he initially only admitted to the murders of of Kathleen, Rita, Hectorina, and his wife, Ethel. When he was told about the remains of Ruth Muriel being found in the garden, he admitted to killing them too. Then, on April 27th, 1953, he confessed to the murder of Beryl Evans. He did, however, deny killing Geraldine. Although it is believed that he may not have wanted to admit his guilt in the murder to avoid alienating the jury and to protect himself from fellow inmates in prison. On June 22, 1952, his trial began in the same court that Timothy Evans had been tried in years earlier. He entered an insanity plea claiming to not remember the events of the murders. His insanity defense fell apart when Dr. Matheson from H.M. Prison Brixton, where he had been held, was called as a prosecution witness. Dr. Matheson testified that Christie had a hysterical personality but was not insane. It only took 85 minutes of deliberation for the jury to reach their verdict. He was guilty. Christie was hanged at 9 a.m. on July 15, 1953, at the HM Prison, Pentonville. After he was dead, his body was buried in the prison precincts. Following his death, there was a lot of controversy surrounding the conviction of Timothy Evans. Christie had, after all, confessed to murdering Beryl had they executed an innocent man. The then Home Secretary, David Maxwell Fife commissioned an inquiry to determine whether or not Timothy Evans had been innocent. John Scott Henderson QC led the inquiry, and after interviewing Christie before his execution, as well as another 20 witnesses, he concluded that Timothy was in fact guilty of both murders. He concluded that Christie's confessions were made in the context of furthering the defense that he was insane. However, questions continued to be raised about Timothy's innocence even after this investigation. The Henderson Inquiry is criticised for being held over just one week and for being prejudiced against Timothy's innocence. This led to a second inquiry being ordered. The second was chaired by High Court Judge Sir Daniel Braben and took place over the winter period of 1965 66. Evidence was examined from both cases and the arguments for Timothy's innocence were evaluated. He concluded that it was more probable that Timothy had killed Beryl, but not his daughter, who had likely been killed by Christie. However, he also noted that the uncertainty involved in the case would have prevented a jury from being sure beyond reasonable doubt that Timothy was guilty. The conclusions reached in the Braben inquiry were used by the Home Secretary, Roy Jenkins, to recommend that Timothy Evans be posthumously Pardoned. By this time, there was already debate in the UK about the death penalty. Timothy's execution, as well as other controversial cases, to the ni- led to the 1965 suspension and ensuing abolition of capital punishment in the United Kingdom. The Home Office awarded Evans's sister and half-sister ex-gratia payments as compensation for the miscarriage of justice in his trial. Lord Brennan, independent assessor for the Home Office, said that The conviction and execution of Timothy Evans for the murder of his wife was was a wrongful and miscarriage of justice. There is no evidence to implicate Timothy Evans in the murder of his wife. She was most probably murdered by Christy. Thank you for listening to Canonical True Crime. Sources for this week's episode include The Independent, the BBC, People Pill and more. A full list is available right now on our website, canonicaltruecrime.com. Follow us on Instagram at canonicaltruecrime to keep up to date with all the latest news and be the first uh, first to know when a new episode drops. Rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. It really helps us out. You can also listen on Spotify, Stitcher, Amazon Music, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If we aren't on your favorite platform, let us know and we'll do our best to get on there. Next time on Canonical True Crime three deaths in the cold of Saskatoon, three deaths that would eventually lead right back to the people who were meant to investigate them.